is waiting on fries. That you don't get it. You don't. What do you mean you don't get waiting on fries? Hopefully the customer never hears waiting on fries. But all this time on the entree and it's perfectly executed, and then you're it's like, ready Fuck, to go. I forgot to fire the fries. I just always use that when I forgot to put somebody's order in, and I was like, hey, I'm just waiting on the fries. It's gonna be two more minutes. Realistically, I come back 10 minutes with the food. Exactly. <laughs> they just know that their food's not there in the service, so they're still waiting on fries. I guess we're just waiting on fries. <laughs> you know, so there, were, there were some qualms that happened last week, and Justin made some statements, and Justin now has to go back and uh, refute these statements a little bit. Uh, we had a whole bunch of people hopping into the DMs and screaming at his phone, because what'd you say, Just? I, I said that winter beers suck. Say it again. Winter beers suck. A little louder for the people in the back. I stick by my story. Winter beers suck. Unbelievable. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before we get all into that, we've got Chef James Piccolo in here. You might know him from Terry Lodge, Marlowe's in Brookfield, the Tipperary in Montauk. I say that with a pinky out. It's how it feels a little bit when you, when you get it off the tongue. Uh, but he's sitting in here with us to discuss why possibly that winter beers don't suck and they're just maybe just not for Justin. I don't know if I could agree with that, but we'll okay. get we'll get deeper into that. Yeah, but we're going to talk a little bit about life and work balances. Obviously, COVID has made things a lot harder for everybody. We've got families. We've got people to provide for, you know, restaurants are closing down left and right. We're looking for jobs. We're seeing if guys are even trying to give hours out. Uh, I think, Nooms, we discussed that. Um, what's the spot you're at? Well, I'm at Diner Bruco now, so I've kind of we're, stepped out of the pass. kitchen. We're so I was at Manhattan, but um, they recently just started rehiring to start building that team back up. But I'm at Diner Bruco now, so I'm not going to be a part of that rehiring process. Okay. And uh, Do they know something that we don't know about some capacity increases or something like that? No, I don't think they know something we don't know. I think they're just trying to get the ball rolling again. I don't think they're planning to actually reopen the store until early next year. But they're going to start moving on it now. And then this is like the reoccurring theme. I was just saying a second ago to the guys that – you know, we're all in our own little worlds to some extent, and they're also different depending on which town or which city or which state you're in at the present moment. Where, you know, working in the city next to guys, they're just like, we're so fortunate to actually have a job right now where I have friends that are just sitting on the couch doing absolutely nothing and they can't do anything because nobody's hiring, uh, at least in our business. I. S- at first said I can't feel that way because I see out here in Westchester, people are hiring nonstop, but also our rules are far more lax than they are throughout the city. We don't have to do 25% occupancy. We're allowed to have people inside. Um, although I do believe that we are going back into 50% occupancy instead of the 75 coming up in Connecticut side, or at least that was the last I heard. I didn't hear anything about that. I didn't that. hear anything like that. Things, things constantly change through. Uh, we'll have to reference that at some point when... Uh, when I get a chance to look at it. But James has been around the block a little bit. You've taken some part in some competitions. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you want to talk about do you want to talk about things that have you win competitions when you talk about cooking? Like when we have bar competitions, people are judging on the way that you uh, kind of carry out some flair. They're carrying judgment points on how you actually execute. Um, also originality and things like this. <coughs> is it very similar as uh, so the for the for the chatter competition? It was actually uh, there was no like judge panel, so it was every person who's tasting your chowder is giving you a point score, and then they would tally those points at the end. Um, so you're, you're testing chowder for ten thousand people. 
It's six, a lot of chowder. <laughs> 60 gallons of chowder for for each competition. It was crazy. Six hours nonstop, handing out two-ounce shots of chowder. What do you do to make so much chowder? Is it just nonstop? I mean, you're, you're doing batches a couple days ahead of time and then basically reheating everything day of and then transporting it and keeping it hot throughout the entire competition, which is a whole mess on its own, you know? It's immensely intense. Yeah, we've done a, we've done a couple. We've never done a chowder competition, but we've done a couple of competitions, like Brisket King we did, and that chili competition back in the day, right? Yeah, oh, and the wing, yeah, wing Fest we did, and we did a chili competition, and sometimes the and hardest... And Burger Blast every year. Sometimes the hardest thing is the execution of, like, the actual day. Yeah. When you have a million people and you're just trying to keep the consistent thing flying out or whatever, and you got that line, you got to move it. Especially if they're tallying out those, like, Wing Fest and Burger, they got to put their um, you put their chip in the in the bucket or whatever. And just by not having it ready, you're losing votes. So especially in those kind of things, it's tough to think. Oh, because that when you did that the people that are coming out to test all the food and try all the, the different samples that are out there, they each get one single token when they walk in. And from that point, that single person's token has that's to go into vote. a specific yeah. bucket, and that's yeah. the vote. Whoever's got the most wins. Yeah. Hmm. And there's no room to kind of, like, forge the, the ballots a little bit there. No, because everybody's only got the one token, so you've got to be ready to serve people as soon as they start walking in. Gotcha. And, like, the big problems we realize is... People are there and they're hungry immediately. And if you're not yeah. ready to go, you just miss <laughs> yeah. like the first hundred votes or so, and that'll be the end of the competition oh, for you. Tapping out at the end. So going back to this chowder competition, though, I'm from, I'm I'm born in Boston. My family is from the New England area and surrounding Boston areas. I'm a firm believer that there's really only one clam chowder, which is the New England clam chowder, and this farce of a thing that they make down here in Manhattan that's red. I don't know what's going on with that. But you had a mix, which I've never heard of. Yeah, so it was basically, I mean, your, your basic New England is your base, and then it was just kind of building on that flavor. Explain what goes into there to somebody that, you know, might not know what's in there. Like Jay's saying he me. doesn't know what yeah, clam me. chowder is. Essentially me. <laughs> yeah, okay, so, I mean, cream, potatoes, clams, um... As far as New England, I mean, some people would put bacon in it. Is that what just did? It's like cream, cream and water, I guess. I mean, just creamy, just clam juice, and yeah. I really thought there was a lot more into clam chowder. Sometimes the simplest way is the best way. So, what do you wind up? Do you add additional flavorings of spices or anything into that? I mean, yeah, whatever seasoning you're putting into, but like traditional New England clam chowder is very, very straightforward. Like. Don't fuck with it. Yeah. It's just a thick, hearty potato-based yeah. chowder soup. You know? Okay, so you, you take the soup, right? And yeah. now what you actually did for the competition that there was, where, where was this competition? Uh, I was in uh, Westport, Connecticut. Okay, yep, yeah. up, up the line here, Yeah. Uh, along took, the water. Yeah, right at, uh, I forgot the name of the park, but right off of seven, exit 17. Okay. Um, yeah, and like 40 other restaurants from like all over the country. Yeah. Uh, tons of different categories. There was like traditional New England, then soups and bisques, then creative chowder, which is the category that uh, I entered in. So there were multiple different entry areas that yeah. you could go into. Okay. So like you, 
you said, I'm going to really blow the top off these guys, and I'm just going to hit them with what's essentially the red and the white. Yeah. Combined. Make a sweet baby out of it. A little yin-yang <laughs> action almost. Yeah. I don't know how that even plates. What does it look like? Um, so it was, you know, kind of creamy and smooth like a bisque, but chunky like a New England chowder. Chunky with potatoes and clams. Potatoes, clams, and carrots, celery, onions, shit ton of bacon, pancetta. That um, sounds like a winner to me right there. And then, like, thrown in, kind of making it an Italian twist and throwing in some marinara and really, like, building that, that flavor. And, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Did you encounter some, like, chowder purists saying, like, what the hell are you doing here? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're um, like, I'm in the creative section here. Yeah, Leave me along, that's guys. basically, it's like, if you, if you want your, your basic, go, you just you go know, down the road go over there. Yeah. That guy's got it. So That's cool. Do you think there's like a way to produce like a smokehouse version of a clam chowder that doesn't involve clam really at all? And it would be like a meat-based chowder? Uh, that sounds like a stew. Thanks. There we go. <laughs> Sounds like cheeseburger soup or something. Yeah. <laughs> and there we go. I mean, just, you know, we're coming up on the winter time right now anyway. And as we are approaching, people come in, they want soups all the time. I know they come in here and they ask for soups. They, they do. This is not my department, you know. This is Mikey. Do we have to get Mike out of the back of the kitchen right I, now and have this conversation? I think Mike left, so we might be out of luck on that. But Gotcha. I think the biggest thing that we get pushed for is chili. That's yeah. always this time of year, especially since we stop making it every day. It's, Second most that first is when's newer opening. Second is when's chili coming back. James, if I was to say like four top kind of soups that everyone always wants, everyone kind of always asks, could you throw some of those at me? Like if we were to add them onto the smokehouse menu, what would those be? Uh, I mean, people usually want chowder. I mean, if I see chowder on a menu, I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. Um, I would agree. Any, any type of like squash puree with, you know, maybe some like crab meat and chili oil, something like that. That's like, that's a big one. And I mean, chicken noodle, you just can't really go wrong. Reminds you of yeah. being a child and home, and it's, the warmth. It's comforting. It's, yeah. Correct. Um, and then, yeah, a nice hearty stew is, you know, depending on how you, yeah, I mean, is it a soup? Is it a stew? I like. Does it really matter at it, the end of the day? No, it's, yeah, it's all a matter of. Opinion. Can you throw smoked meats into the stew and yeah. have Absolutely. it still work beautifully? Yeah. I don't think I've ever smoked come across brisket that. stew. Yeah. That sounds delicious. Nice. Yeah. Um, Gus, you taking these notes? I might make it at home this week. <laughs> well, Mike's, Mike's, yeah. got a, Mike's got a whole soup season thing. Like, Mike's big into the soups. You don't have to worry about that. So, this could be happening this year here. It could be. It could be. And actually, I think as soon as you start calling it a stew, there ceases to be any real rules to it. It's kind of <laughs> just. Yeah. That's why it's called a stew. You just. Yeah. This is my stew. You know, you make what you got to make. But I had an idea for a ghost kitchen to run out of here that Mike initially did not like, but I think he's coming around on it. I thought we'd do basically the menu that he just, that James just uh, said, and make four soups or whatnot and make like a fake Uber. Not a fake Uber, but a different Uber that's not smokehouse or just call it like soups, I don't know, whatever on Uber. And put it out there and have four soups ready to go and just sell it on Uber and Grubhub. And it's, I mean, it's high prep, but... No, no execution. This is a guy with a ladle that's just filling up cups yeah. of soup and stuff and sending it out the door once it's done. So I told Mike, you know, we should offset. We're at, you know, 50% capacity and whatever we're not doing in the store. As it starts to get cold, we lose the outside and stuff like that. We could offset some of those sales with, like, this side hustle soup business. 
And he was like, I'm not making soup. This is a barbecue restaurant. You make, now you want me to make a soup restaurant? And, but I think he's starting to come around with it. Because, it, like I said, it's going to be labor-intensive. But once it's ready, like through dinner service and through lunch service, it's pretty, it's pretty quick if that's all we're putting up on the, on the, on the platform. Your, your point's valid, valid in the sense that it is going to get cold out here. We are in the Northeast Territory. People are not going to be sitting outside anymore. You're about to lose all of those seats you have outside all of these restaurants because who in their right mind wants to even sit in the heated tents that are showing up outside right now as time gets a little bit colder and colder? There's definitely a few people who are willing uh, to sit outside in the cold and drink Yeah, they, w- they will. Are, yeah, 100%. they'll do it. Well, yeah. the, the real truth will be when it comes to that moment, how many of them are actually going to be sitting out there in the like cold? Like two or three a night, but they're there. Yeah, so <laughs> I think that you're correct in saying – Let's just launch this Uber Ghost Kitchen right out of here where you can produce everything you need anyway because we've discussed it so many times where we're going to have to start thinking creatively outside the box to make sure that we're staying afloat and keeping money coming into the businesses. And at the end of the day, like you just said, something with soup is just a ladle and you don't care how many times the Uber thing is going off. You're you're just just putting soup into a cup. Correct. It's going right into the court things and that's it. That's it. Send them. Send them pack in. Take the little money and let Uber take their money for this one. Uh, I did yell the other day when somebody was ordering Seamless. I was like, they sell food right out of their restaurant. Just call them and they'll deliver it to you. Why are you giving the extra money to Seamless? You're getting no benefit. People are lazy. They don't want to make the phone call. Truth. Also, I think most people notice, but a lot of restaurants charge more on Uber and Seamless than if you just called the restaurant itself to make up for those those margins in there. That That was my statement, but... I mean, if you know the hacks of how things work, you know why those things are happening. And yeah, I think I wound up saving my girlfriend like a good six bucks by not having to order right off of Seamless, I'm sure. And that money went to something else. It probably went to that foot rub we got the other day. Six dollar foot rub, huh? No, it was a portion. It was a portion. You know, like 15% off there. Dude, it's all about the convenience. The Uber stuff is just, it's on the phone already and everything store. They just hit reorder and it's done. That's, people pay for convenience, that's what they say. Correct. That's why you got to make your website super convenient and make your online ordering platform yeah. super convenient, and then you can steal people from Uber and Grubhub, etc. James, talk to me about being in the various different places that you've been, because they're not necessarily all similar to each other, I don't think. Was, was the competition on your own or for, for a restaurant? I mean, I kind of. I mean, I, I represented Terry Lodge, but, I mean, it wasn't like it was just the, the name there, okay. you know. Um, otherwise, yeah, it was all all me. So, um. Work, working in Montauk, which is a kind of like a full summer spot. Yeah, very seasonal. That's yeah. all you really see. You know, I open up Instagram in the summertime. Everyone tagging end of the world, right? Like, that's yeah, it. yeah. That's well, literally the furthest place you can go in the U.S., isn't it? Far uh, east. Yes. At yeah. least on the island, I yeah. think it does surpass. I guess Rhode Island tippy top. It does. Yeah. So. Where you're now, this was a while ago now that you yeah, were working in this This was right this after space. I graduated high school. Oh, really? So yeah. that was like the first place you were in, the yeah. introductory business. Dishwasher, prep cook, you know, did it all, ground yeah. up. How long was your progression from a dishwasher up to like executive chef there? Uh, three years. That's pretty quick. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, also because it's seasonal so like you know doing one season dishwasher prep cook you know same same gig yeah and then you know next season okay hey we're gonna throw you on the line 
or have you do salads or you know, brick oven pizza or something like that. And, you know, it, it worked out. I was, you know, was there able a high, to do it. Was there a high turnaround because of the season? So the same, oh, yeah, yeah it's always. And the, the management in that the same name restaurant, but probably a different owner every single year I work there. Which is interesting to see that that business style. And I've, I see it on the nautical mile. You see a lot of that turnover happening year after year with different yeah. owners coming in. And somebody just wants no part of it and said, you know, maybe they didn't make ends meet enough. And they said, let's get, unload this thing before we hold on to it any further. Yeah. I mean, they, basically someone would come in and rent it from the owner of the property and then, you know, sign a lease for a year. You know, if it worked out and they were doing well, then maybe they re-signed. But yeah. you know, it rarely happened. Well, yeah, as the owners continue to want to get their money's yeah. worth or whatever the going rate value is, it's not always the actual fair value for the next guy to make enough money to stay as an invested interest, I would think. Yeah. Now, cooking out there where everything I think is more so seafoodish uh, feel, right? yeah. And then you handled that for a couple of years, and then you come back and you go into, what's the next restaurant here? It was Marlowe's in Brookfield. In Brookfield. And the theme of this restaurant I mean, then is bar food. I mean nothing, nothing crazy. Okay. Um, I mean most of the restaurants in Montauk were also bar food, but definitely seafood yeah. you know, centric. Um, yeah. I mean that's it wasn't that difficult. I mean I had been you know cooking food like that my whole life, so it was kind of kind of mindless for me. Um, but uh, when I went to Terry Lodge, that was like a totally different different ball game. Was that the like n- almost nervous wake up call where you're just like, oh, everything is so much different in here than what I've oh, been yeah. used to for the last years? Yeah. Um, I was like, wow, I don't know shit. I'm, like, yeah. I'm amazed I got to where I was without culinary school, without you know real training. You know, um, but yeah, I just kept my head down and paid attention, and it kind of worked out. Those. Those self-realization moments of the I don't know shit are the best moments of all time as far as learning experiences go. And you know, to tie that back, me coming up and in, in working in bars, it was corporate bar, then it was just dive bar and tiki-ish bar. And then from there, my buddy Eric Romero, who is at Modern and running that bar program there, is a craft cocktail nerd. And at that point, I said, I, I want to come on. I want to learn something. And I want you to yell at me because I'm breaking various rules that I need to learn. Yeah. And yeah. <laughs> having that, and especially because he's a couple years younger than me and we're buddies, he doesn't want to yell at me. And I'm like, dude, fucking tear me apart, please. Like, that's what you want. And that's you, how you, you kind of need that discipline and that structure a little bit to totally. just kind of whip you into place, yeah, and, especially and, in the kitchen. In the yeah. amount of times that you learn that you've been doing something incorrectly the whole way. Yeah. Or not even incorrectly, but there's just a better way that you could be doing it. Yeah. Or in, you know, a cocktail setting, a more professional way of doing something than, yeah. you know, putting two plastic cups together to strain the shot that you just made instead of actually using the tin and the strainer like an actual uh, professional bartender. Right. Um, but. Going into Terry Lodge and saying, all right, now I'm learning something that's completely different in the culinary world here for what you were used to, too. You started in Terry Lodge doing what role? Uh, I was the grill cook. Okay. I was, like, purely just banging out meat for 600 people a night. Were you, uh, did you move from the grill at some point within uh, that or did you master that set and you're like this is where I'm i mean i got it. i got hired because i could grill meat i mean that was like the biggest thing it's like what you know first thing i did was like, okay cook these proteins 
Um, and then, yeah, you kind of, you get, you would get bored otherwise. You have to, you have to move to something new. So, you know, went from grilled and then the pasta station, which pasta station in an Italian restaurant is probably the hardest station in the, it's in the kitchen. Wild. Yeah. I mean, wild. Um, you're cranking out probably, you know, 30 pastas every six minutes. Um, and that never stops for like seven hours straight. And, uh, yeah, it really can, <laughs> it can either build you up or it could destroy you. Um, and I watched a lot of people go down, but we had a, um, a pasta station at Manhattan. It was our meat entremets responsibility to man that station. They had maybe two pastas at a time okay. and that made it the hardest station. in the kitchen. Yeah. It's, the management of keeping your pasta oil going, keeping your noodles ready to go, keeping all the toppings Seasoned and accoutrements that go with each yeah. pasta dish. And one pasta dish can have like seven or eight things that go into uh-huh. that one dish. So even the prep to get ready for service for that pasta station. Yeah. Intense. And everything's, you know, uh, a la minute. So, you know, we're building pasta to order. There's you know, the only thing that's like pre-made is marinara and bolognese. Yeah. Otherwise, every other sauce is getting built right then and there. Right then. And going into then pasta from the grill, again, is kind of that experience where it's like, I'm literally just learning things from the base. I thought pasta was just pasta. It's simple. You throw it into water, and then you realize that it's not just that, and there's a lot more to it. Yeah, I mean, I think it was more uh, having to do everything on the fly like that, where as other places I'd worked, it's like, okay, all these sauces are are ready to go, and I'm kind of just like, you know, pastas are par-cooked, and... Yeah, two minute pickups, uh, but this was you know fresh frozen that we'd make in house. So four minute pickups in in the water and right out to to Expo. And ter- how long was Terry Lodge right here in Porchester? Terry Lodge was two thousand eight, and then they just closed the Porchester location last October. Okay, so that's a, that's a pretty damn good run though. But 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 it was a revamp from like. 2008 was the reopening. Was the time. reopening. Yeah. Reopening, because it's been around. My my wife's father used to work at Terry Lodge. like The original the, Terry original Lodge. Original Terry yeah. Lodge. Like Justin's the doing the hand motion like yeah, he's throwing a football. So sorry. he's trying to say it was a long time <clears throat> it ago. It was a long time ago, before me and my wife existed. I worked as a busboy at the original Terry Lodge when I was like 12 years old. That was like the, the real entry into the business, kind yeah. of getting your footing and they were like get the stupid kid out of the way i got yeah, things yeah. to do and you yeah. didn't know any better you're no, just I doing whatever anything. you're doing it's crazy that's that's very similar i lived in boca raton florida for some time period and there was a little restaurant right across the street from my neighborhood called la luna and it was a little italian spot and uh sure enough i just went in there one day i was probably high as shit because that's what you're doing at 15 16 <laughs> And I was just like, you guys, like, you got, you guys hiring people and stuff. And I, like, I wound up getting hired. They needed somebody to do soup and salad and stuff. Yeah, and stuff. that was probably like that was your first job. You don't even know how, like, I don't know how to do anything. But sure enough, I was in the back, and the soup and salad thing was kind of intense because every single dish came with a soup or a salad. So you were servicing every single table that was going out. And I thought it was still acceptable, like smoke a joint before work and then come in there, not realizing that that really threw me off. So yeah, it doesn't, first, doesn't work. Yeah. After the first couple of days of me like getting yelled at, being like, "Where the hell are the salads and the soups?" I was like, 
I'm gonna go in sober tomorrow. And we just <laughs> talked about how easy the soups are to execute. During I know. Too. But it was like, <laughs> it was like yeah, it's a ladle. The, the tickets like... were like it said either pasta fujol or it said house salad or Caesar, and there Ooh, were three options. That was a house lot to salad. Deal with. That's a tough one. Yeah, it was a lot to deal with at that time. <laughs> but you really do learn everything when you like walk into your first job because you get shit on so hard by yeah. guys being like, "Why don't you know this shit?" And you're like, "Chill, guys, my first job." And you start learning, you pick up the pieces, and, and you know, now look at me, I'm a conductive, uh, or I'm conducive to society out here in, the, in restaurants, somewhat. So where do you go from Terry Lodge? Uh, so I was at Terry Lodge for 12 years. Um, I went to, they opened a market right next to the Porchester location in 2010, and I opened that with them. Um, basically working, working a butcher counter, um, and doing, you know prepared foods in the back and um and that was all right i mean it wasn't it wasn't like being on the line it was a lot of person interaction which is not uh it's, not, it's moving not from the that. back to the front yeah um having to put that smile on every yeah. day is, yeah that's kind of that's kind of something about that <laughs> was not for me yeah. so and then just a just to touch on that a little bit because we just said it was a re- reopen of Terry Lodge, and I think, and you correct me if I'm wrong, I think what happened was, so Terry Lodge was a restaurant, you know, I'm doing the hand thing again, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know, opened back then, and then uh, Mario Batali and Joel Bastianis reopened it, and that's the time you came back to it, right? So you, yeah. you had the original, in the original location, you worked as a busboy, you came back, and then I think what they, my understanding is what they were trying to do with Terry Market was make uh Kind of similar to feel to the Italy yeah. thing that they had created. So it was like, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's kind of open floor plan where you would essentially have several, I don't want to say concepts because it's all inside of one concept, but you have almost different stores inside of an open place sure. you could just kind of walk around it's and like, do. It was kind of like a marketplace idea where you could go from like having a small cafe and then you'd go to the market that kind of supplied the cafe so you could have like your espresso and yeah that biscotti sort of thing and then you can go buy meats and wines and cheeses and all sorts. yeah i mean like here's here's the you know we're selling fresh pasta that we're making in the back uh you have your cheesemonger who's pushing out cheese like crazy and then you have your deli section and, and your whole butchery yeah similar to that i think cooked and co uh east chester Attempted to kind of do something like that where they're partly market and then they opened up a restaurant side as well to things Which honestly, I think that that's a great business model because you're kind of reaping the benefits of having an almost Full day's worth of business where people are coming out to get what they want to actually eat and they can Actually sit down and be served some of that thing that you know, they're already producing in the back kind of um, I mean the the idea is there but what people want is one-stop shopping so if they can't get if they can buy all the things that they need for a pasta except tomato and basil, I mean, what's the point? Like, that's, like, okay, now I have to go to this other store to get yeah. the things that I need totally. to I mean, use all this stuff. And we do that with Amazon today, really, at the yeah. end of the day. I'm waiting until Thursday comes to get a goddamn cutting board uh, just because I didn't want to go to the store with all the 12 other stores that I have to go to to handful or purchase a handful of different things for the new apartment here. Now it's like Amazon. Uh, yeah, I'll wait till Thursday so I don't have to go to 12 stores at once. No way. Totally. That You don't have a cutting board? Uh, we threw it out. 
Okay. You know, <laughs> when, you know when it's supposed to get tossed out and you didn't just pull the trigger for the new one? That's where we were kind of at. So tell me about, like, James, the balance of having a family. Congrats, you have a newborn as well. Uh, tell me about the balance that goes into this because we don't get holidays off. We don't get all these days off that all of our nine-to-five buddies typically have all the time. I'm off Thanksgiving. You make your own schedule. Just Shut up. We're closed on Thanksgiving. <laughs> there you go. Are you guys open Christmas Day? No. All right, yeah. Okay. I'm off this Thanksgiving, too. I'm excited. <laughs> My, Mike and I, we used to work at the Rye Ridge Movie Theater yeah. right, in high school, and that was every Thanksgiving and every Christmas and every holiday. It was like, not only are you working, it's the busiest day of the year. Yeah. All five of those days were the busiest day of the year. <laughs> I don't know, do the math, but that's what it was. Wow, Rye Ridge Movie Theater. <laughs> yeah, wow. that's a throwback, right? Yeah. So when we opened this, when we opened this store, you know what? I don't care. I'm off Thanksgiving and Christmas. I had to work pretty much from 17 until 22. 20, no, because then I worked at the Country Club, too. Yeah, so 17 until, I were, until we opened our restaurant. I had to work every Thanksgiving and every Christmas. We said, nope, I don't care how busy it is. We're closed on those days. I'm excited to not work Thanksgiving this year. I don't know about you guys. Thanks. Oh, sorry. Thanks, guys. I was in the middle of talking to James about important shit, and you were letting me know that you guys have off. It's awesome. But tell me about, like, the, the balance that occurs. You have to have a very understanding lady in your life to be oh, able yeah. to yeah, accept I mean, these things, especially if she's not in the same business that we are, really. That, that, that was the biggest thing. She was, she is understanding of, you know, if you do this, you kind of have you have to have a passion for it, um, and if someone doesn't understand that passion, it's it's just not going to work out. Um, she and I actually worked in the temporary together, uh, on the line in the kitchen, while we were dating and living together. Before you so go she further, got it. <laughs> before <laughs> you go further into that, because that's in Montauk. Yeah. Were you you were living out in Montauk already? Oh yeah. Previous to working there, you were just living in Montauk. Um, I, my family's had a house there for, okay. for years, so gotcha. I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go live, gotcha. okay. live here and work five minute walking distance from my house. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, yeah. that makes sense. I typically, most people aren't just living in Montauk and that, that was it. Maybe <laughs> yeah. they go live there for the summertime for the job and maybe there's a job house. Um, but okay. So you met her there. You were both working on the line. Um, actually we, we went to high school together, so we, we've known each other for a very the long story time. story gets thicker. Um, <laughs> And then after, probably in 2004, I think, um, 2005, she came out there. We were starting to live together. And then, uh, yeah, I, one day I just, she was a waitress in the restaurant. And I'm like, I need you in the kitchen. Like, I was the only one in the kitchen cranking out like 90 covers a night by myself, every single station. And I was just like, oh, I'm drowning. I need help. So um, That's pretty like, badass that it turned out to be your girlfriend who's going to jump in the kitchen with you. Yeah. yeah. I mean... <laughs> And then that was that was kind of it. If you can work the line next to somebody and still you do go home anything. with them, yeah. Now I'm even questioning if you were actually drowning in the kitchen or if you're just looking for an excuse <laughs> to tell her to come back and help you bang out a couple of meals here, right? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, stay, yeah. Stick with that story, though. Yeah. Uh, but all right. So is she still in this business as well? No, she's actually a managing editor for Wine Enthusiast magazine. Okay, so yeah. in some in some form way. of the business, yeah. but more of a regular lifestyle as far as yeah. time goes. Yeah. And balancing the times that you're gone are mostly night, I would presume, when you're working. Yeah, I mean, all day. I mean, yeah. Yo, you know. Okay, yeah, even yeah. earlier. So you're able to kind of figure out 
who's taking care of the little ones at this point, no? Well, I mean, when I started out, I mean, I'd be home on, like, Wednesday, Thursdays. You know, those were my days off, maybe. Um, it was really the days that you're home, like, you, you just have to be involved. Um, you can't just be like, uh, you know, I slept 12 hours in the past eight days, like, yeah. so I'm going to sleep an entire day, and that's what I want to do. Yeah. You know? um, but, yeah, you just see if they're understanding, you just have to make it work. And uh, if they're not, you're just fucked. So, I mean, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, as blunted as it is, that's, yeah. that's accurate. Oh, yeah. We've watched this, these relationships fail all the time with people that are not understanding of it. Yeah, I, somebody was just saying the other day, I forget even where it was. They were like, I'm never dating a chef again. They're all the hours that are being put in. It's the stupidest thing. Why would I do it to myself? Yeah, and but I, you, you don't have to cook when you get home if you date a chef. Yeah. That's the one benefit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Although I'm sure the last thing you want to do after you've been cooking all day is cook some more at home, no? It's no. totally different. Yeah. Totally different. I don't mind cooking for eight hours at the restaurant and then coming home and cooking a meal for myself. Yeah. It's like maybe I'll make a grilled cheese <laughs> when I come home. Yeah. Or peanut butter sandwich. Yeah. Just you, you go I, made, through, I had a grilled ham and cheese myself today. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I, you it go was through, sexy. I'm not going to lie. You go through something similar, though, too. <laughs> You're a family man, you've got kids, you do a million things a day, and I'm actually, it's funny that we're even having this conversation today on this episode, because earlier today, I said to myself, fuck does just do this repeatedly? Because he's running around all day long, squeezing time in for everything, you're doing things with the kids, you're managing doing this thing with us, you're out here building the new restaurant too, there's so much balance that goes on, and not only that, I'm not praising him. I don't owe him anything. But he's very I'm, I'm organized. I'm waiting for it. You know, I'm like, what's, where's no, the hammer? He's very organized. The show sheet was already updated today, like, well ahead of time. Like, where does this time come from? He's unbelievably organized for someone who does as many things as he actually right? does. And I think that you kind of have to be, James, to be able to balance all these things and make sure that everyone knows where they're going. And, you know, you're, you're essentially, you guys are working to raise a family, not just provide for them, too. I don't think I'm organized at all. Just... You know, my shit's everywhere. Cool. You should see my room. Yeah, cool. If that's the one place that's a disaster, that's, that's all right. It's all over the place. How, how else do you wind up managing your downtime, though? Uh, I, don't, I don't even know. I mean, pre-COVID? Well, I yeah, mean, we're in a different life now. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's like I said, like, when you're there, you just have to be involved. So, you know, fortunately enough, I was able to have, you know, Sunday, Mondays off, so. Um, I'm home all day with them Sunday. Like, let's, you know, whatever we got to do, let's, let's do it. Um, and then, you know, being home with my son all day on Monday was you know, a blessing. Yeah. Otherwise I'd see him maybe 30 minutes a day. You know, see my wife, maybe an hour and a half a day. How many um, hours typically get put into the work shifts where you're just, you know, missing for a while? I mean, I would commute about an hour to and from work, so I'm leaving for work at 10 in the morning, getting home at 11, 12 o'clock at night. Yeah, uh, that's a long day. Yeah. The uh, similar where I just took up a residency in Governor's Island working at a bar out there, two hours to work, two hours back from work. Crazy. It's absurd. So when at the end of the day when you're sitting there and you're like, all right, well, it was pretty busy a day, and then you look at your pay. You just you have to include those extra four hours into the pay. 
Yeah. And at that point, you break it down and you're just like, is it even worth it? Which in the future, maybe it will be when things go back to having max capacity in places. But, you know, right now where we're more so on the, the tip forefront, it's kind of just like, all right, we, we need to find a place that's a little bit closer and a little bit more busy for the winter because taking a four-hour commute just to get your foot in the door with a company that could potentially be great the following year is not really, I think, where you want to be. This is classic Jay, front of house guy, complaining about tips to the back of house guy. Yeah. I, they're going to find me in the back of the car later on. On his worst day, he's probably making, you know, double what we're making. It. He's complaining about it. Well, you're, and no, because it evens out in a lot of cases. No. Listen, no. You, got, you, got no. Two, you got two back no, of house guys and an owner sitting in front of you. No one wants to hear you bitch about your tips. I can say from personal experience, having cooked for the last eight to ten years, now managing a bar. The tips are a lot fucking better working at the bar, a lot better. And then what's the sh- what's your shift hours like six? Right. No, I mean my shift hours still nine to ten hours a day. What are but... your shift hours? Like four hours. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I had a four hour commute, so that was like eight hours. Okay. okay? Yeah. Yeah. So halfway through. Yeah. yeah. Cut me right back down to the, the, the twenty buck hourly mark. Leave me alone. Get out of here. <laughs> Complaining about twenty an hour. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's New York City prices. Oh, yeah. still. Just come see us in the kitchen. Oh, they'll come see me. They'll come see me in the tax time. But so, <laughs> you know, you, I, I think you have to choose your battles of figuring out for the future where we wind up working next as we might deal with more shutdowns and we might deal with less occupancy. And yeah, that will hurt the front of the house on the tip side, the back of the house, you're going to have hours. You'll still continually getting the hourly wage, but everything changes a little bit than I guess what it typically once was. I thought you were grabbing that to yell at me again. I was getting, I was getting ready to just get yelled at. I wasn't, I wasn't going to yell. I wasn't going to yell. Tell me about beers, James. You're wearing a hat right now of a local beer spot. What's the word I'm looking for? Brewery? Yeah. Roadhouse? You'd be a beer fan a little yeah. bit. It just has we, gotta circle, we gotta circle back here yeah. and, and start talking about the winter beers where last episode just really shit on winter beers and it, it was incorrect. It was an opinionated statement and I, I think that we have to refute a little just. I, I, I don't want to refute. I, I stick by my story. <laughs> but I will make a few exceptions, I guess, to the rule. You know, like I said, all winter beers suck. And my point was that they're all tend to be overly malted and cinnamony, nutmeg, you know, winter spice, Christmas spice. Yeah. And when I said that last week, we didn't really get into it. And I got a bunch of text messages. How could you say this? Blah, 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 whatever. So I looked it up, and I, I said, okay, let me look it up. What's the 20 most, uh, most popular um, winter, winter ales, et cetera? And no surprise, it's Christmas ale, you know, Merry Santa's lap dance. You know, every single one was the same thing of, like, yeah, Christmas ale, snow melt, special holiday ale, Old English ale, Malga, you know, are like, you just, just look down the list. Are you just list. saying Christmas, Christmas words together? I, that's <laughs> the, what they, that's the point, what it says. The point is this, right? That's what it says. And as somebody, here, I'll give you this. As I'm, somebody, look, I'm looking on this list. I don't actually see Santa's lap dance. Is that something you made up, or is that a real nah, thing? Was, no, there's, like, Santa's little helper. Oh, okay. As, that's, that's as somebody <laughs> that, at one point in time, was a little bit of a beer nerd and really enjoyed being out there getting after the beers, if you ask me right now to, if I knew one of those beers that are on that top 40 list sitting in front of you, I don't think I know one single of those beers, which leads me to my next point is that 
I feel like craft beer is a bubble. Now, I don't think it's going to explode because people keep drinking beers. But I don't know how many guys are going to be able to just stay in business consistently as there's so much competition out here with all these different beers that show up on shelves. And it's a huge struggle to try to get into these storefronts at this point, too. And, you know, you got to find guys like Halftime that have essentially the Walmart version of a beer spot. Where yeah. It's like, which aisle do you want to go to? Do you want to stay in the Americas? Do you want to go to Europe? Uh, do you want to find more craft stuff? But this whole list, everything on there is very similar, at least upon a little bit of a deeper inspection, where, again, what you just said, you've got toffee notes, you've got coffee, you've got hazelnut, you've got, you know, what else is even listed in here? Caramel. And some of them are stouts, some of them are browns, some of them are porters, uh, and some of them are just these spiced ales, which all, to me, taste super the same, except for the ABV. And the higher that alcohol content is, the harder they have to mask it. And you see those 10 percenters up there. You're really getting all of those spice notes to try to counteract it, which to me then just makes it taste a little bit more like rubbing alcohol. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. It just overpowers everything about it. It, it, it certainly is. And I'm not going to say that winter beers are a terrible beer type. We did go over in the last episode, if you were putting together beer taps, what you kind of need to formulate on your eight. What we do? Eight taps, 12 taps we use, for example? We did, we did eight, and then, yeah, we did an eight-tap draft system. So uh, we kind of just ran over uh, what to kind of put on to satisfy a little bit of everybody without leaving nobody out. Is that a sentence that worked? That's, that's that, basically that sounded good. Okay. And offsetting in the can. Yeah, so... And but that's what? in that offsetting what you don't oh, yeah. have on tap with the can. And that's what led to my statement, because, oh, wintery beers are... Mm. Yeah, but that's your that's your seasonal, and we dedicated I think one or two of those craft. I will say stuff. I will backtrack in one in one in one sense. And there's a few really good stouts that come out around the winter the winter season. I don't know that you would generally call them winter seasonal ales because they don't have to only exist in winter, but that just just happens yeah. to be the rotation they come out. And it is stout season, I guess. You're more inclined to drinking a heavier stout in the winter when it's a little colder out. As opposed to sitting at the bar, taking in an eight nine percent stout and it's ninety degrees out, you know. It's, I will do that. Though. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but like you, you have the Bourbon County, you know that comes out uh, Black Friday actually for the whole holiday season. That's Is that just, as big as it was? It's definitely not as big as it was, but it's still a solid. It's still a solid beer. I remember the uh, the Goose Island nights that we had at Smokehouse, the original Smokehouse. Those are fun nights. I, I still have a couple of barrels sitting downstairs. That's awesome. Oh, that, that we sat on. Yeah, you're extra aging. Yeah. At well, what point, like, might they just not even be great? So we did it all the time. Was we would order some. I'd order extra and stick them in the stick them in the basement. So I'll open yeah, that in a couple of years. Thing. Yeah, I still have it. Yeah, it's in the. It's in the. So that's a funny story. I don't know if I. Well, who cares? It's in, it's down <laughs> there. So you have to you have to recover the yeah. story. All right, so. Dogfish makes worldwide stout, very spotty, right? But they, they don't make it every year. I don't remember. I don't even know when the last time they make it, but it's an 18, 19% stout. It's phenomenal. Uh, at the time that it came out, they had a rep, a dogfish rep that was in charge of allocating these barrels and so on and so forth. When it comes out along with the 120-minute, their IPA, that <clears throat> the big IPA that they put out. So they have one somebody in charge of allocating these. So the right bars, the right restaurants get, you know, an even spread of all this stuff. So that sales rep left right before the time of the year 
that Worldwide Stout in 120 minute would come out. Me knowing it's about to come out and there's no sales rep in charge, I kind of asked for, hey, and, and the distributor was also switching sales reps. So it was kind of a perfect storm of no dogfish rep in the area and no direct sales rep in our area. So I just called and had them email me their inventory every week and I would order off of that. So as soon as it hit and I saw how many WWS kegs were in there and how many 120-minute kegs were in there, I just called the order board and ordered all of them. <laughs> <laughs> right? And of, of course the order board didn't know the allocations because there was no dogfish rep to, to oversee that. And wow. there was no area sales rep to also manage that, so they sent me 10 kegs wow. of 120-minute IPA and maybe five or six kegs of Worldwide Stout and oh, wow. a couple cases and so on and so forth. So it was, a, Genius. it was a good all. We had way too much of this stuff. And then... At that time period, too, though, that you're talking about, like, people were genuinely excited about it. And that's why I also say it's kind of like a craft beer bubble because people don't, I don't think, have that same level of excitement that they once did have when these releases would happen. I want to say this was, like, 2014, probably about when that happened, 2013, 2014. I remember the 120 night. I was in school, culinary school. It was, um, I had class from 6 to 10. At like 9.30, I said something so I could leave class and come back to Neuro and start drinking with you guys. Because I remember when you uh, you said you were going to tap it at like 8.30, 9 o'clock or something like that. And then you only had it until it ran out. And so Dan was working the bar and I had him just pour me a pint and just leave it in the fridge like out there. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it wasn't a pint. It was a 7 well, ounce. Yeah, it was, it was, it was, <laughs> it was 22% alcohol. We're not, we're not throwing pints out. Yeah. <laughs> Have you formulated winter taps coming in here yet or no? No. we're So right, I mean, right now... In the real world, in the real world, right, we would have, I would be formulating the winter taps and getting ready to switch it over. But right now, since we reopened past the COVID, I've, we've just been having, one, we're at 10, 10 out of 20 draft lines that we have operational because 50% capacity, I'm not going to run through as much. We had that conversation last week about I don't want to keg on a line for more than a week to keep its freshness. Um, so we're only running 10 out of the 12 draft lines as it is. And the, uh, and, one of them is a draft root beer. One of them is a sangria. So that leaves eight beers left to go. There we go. We built our eight, eight beer draft list last week. But we're focusing on just the like hyper-local breweries right now. So yep. instead of looking all over the place for, you know, whatever Christmas ale and, you know, those type of things, we're just keeping it, you know, in county, New York City, maybe a little bit upstate and just, you know, trying to support the the businesses that are around us. Of course, and I think that makes the most sense to be doing anyway. In general, I, obviously, <clears throat> I'm all about local product. Uh, you know, nice, nice plug. Yeah, yeah to, that's my that's my. He's LLC, wearing by the, the shirt. Way. He's wearing the shirt. Um, I want. Have you guys? He ever didn't had, even know he was wearing the shirt. He didn't even know. Have you? I've got a Doug Funny closet. I got like 14 of them. <laughs> have you guys had mold wine before? What? Mold wine. Mold wine. Yeah. Mold wine. That's what mold. I said. Yeah, it sounded like mold wine. Yeah, it sounded, you, uh, I heard mold. It's mold. No, mold. 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 Yeah. Mold wine. You know what I'm saying. Jay, you got to enunciate. We had yes. this conversation before we started recording. <laughs> so this is probably one of my favorite things to see out and about or even make at this time of the year. Just because it has all those warm feelings. You know, it's like essentially having a winter beer, but way more tasty and delicious. 
You compared mold wines to no, winter beers? Yeah, correct. Uh, because it has these spices in there. It's a little bit sweeter, obviously. But mold, mold wine itself is a warm wine that's been kind of souped up with some spices, maybe a little honey, uh, some orange zest or orange cut slice, however you want to do it. The thing is, there's no like real specific recipe. It's like a stew. If it was alcoholic and red wine based and a lot tastier and sweet, right? Um, but I think what I think ha- that was a stretch. Yeah, I'm stretching. Okay. But with mold wine, you've seen this sometimes in a couple establishments. I haven't seen it around here that much, but I did go into a place in DC that actually did have some, uh, which was awesome because I've never seen a crock pot sitting behind the bar before, just you know, keeping this nice and warm. But the thing is. When this was, I guess, invented far back into ancient Greek areas, what they did was instead of wasting the wine, because wasting wine is a sin, they would wind up putting it all into a pot. They put all the spices in. They put the honey. They reduced it a little bit. And then they would wind up just serving it warm, and that was it. Um, The thing is, if you've got open bottles of wine behind your bar, you can actually wind up kind of being able to repurpose these before they even get to the point of going bad, or you can use cheaper bottles of wine because it doesn't really matter. Do you have a go-to mold wine recipe? No, not a specific recipe at all, besides having some cloves in there, some cinnamon in there, some honey in there. You lost uh, me already. Sometimes a little brandy <laughs> or cognac. This is not for you, I no, presume. For me. No. I'll be the guy that's ordering it at the place. Okay. Same, I'm, I'm out as well. <laughs> so I'm just all alone here on mold wine island. I'm in, I'll try it. I'll all try right, it. see, this is what we got to be getting into. Right. But as far as making a profit margin on this item behind the bar, it's fantastic. You're literally making a, uh, a rum punch, in a sense, if you will. And breaking that down for 9 10 bucks a glass, you're really making a nice come up here. Everyone's just looking at me in the room like, go fuck yourself. Well, I'm it. just saying, <laughs> if, you're, if your people are pouring right, then you should have no waste on your, your bottles to begin with. That um, doesn't happen. Yeah, I mean, that's, <laughs> that, that's... Perfect, that perfect pour where the bottle does break down into four glasses doesn't happen. Should. I mean, yeah, Terry Lodge. It might be it not it so much in the beer, not so much in the beer bars around I'm the corner. Kind of looking at you like, I don't, how hard is it to just pour it correctly? I know. If somebody was, what's the word? No, it sounds like somebody was doing their job incorrectly. That. But all I'm saying is, there's a way for winter time to come here. We could be making nice, warm, sexy punches. We don't have to be doing all of these. I mean, you can you can do margaritas. that with just you just take wine and just do that. Don't take the ass of random wine bottles well i wasn't insinuating just the ass of the right. random bottles i'm just saying <laughs> before you let them really go bad well why would you de- over why would you day? decorate a good wine though i'm like not saying it stands up for i'm not saying use a great wine yeah if it's a good wine right. i mean if it's like a seven dollar bottle or something like that's just, true you know there you go mold wine yeah uh, you want me to go sit in the corner now or what <laughs> yeah got yeah. it heard I will say so of all my research of everything, my one my one backtrack on the beer uh, beer episode on the beer statement is there is one very underrated beer that comes out in winter and we pour it all the time is that Shiner Holiday Cheer, where that's brewed with like some peaches or that whatever. That is one of the beers that I do remember it's, from winter time. It's really good. I don't see it nearly enough anywhere. So I'll say that if we're gonna go winter winter ale, I'll go with that Shiner Holiday Cheer because of the peach flavor. Brings it back to summer for me anyway and get out of winter. So You're looking like you're trying to figure out what's happening. 
No, I I know that you have it on tap every single winter. He's trying I'm to tie thinking. that back into mold wine. Yeah, it wasn't working though. What's the next step in your direction coming into the winter as a chef and seeking, I, I guess, where do we go next? How do we perform through the winter? What do you forecast the future to hold as far as restaurants go? I mean, it's, uh, it's really your to-go business. I mean, if you're not... If you're not cranking it out, I don't see people sitting outside in you know, 10 degree weather, 20 degree weather. Um, I don't know. It's it's hard. It. I I think we're gonna have another shutdown at some point. I mean, it's horrible to say, but it's the only way that it's really gonna go away. Um, I mean, cases are spiking every day, so it's it's messed up. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard. How many guys work off the books as, that you've seen through years of just running through the restaurants? Um, only when I was in Long Island. Yeah. I was off the books. I feel like a lot of Irish pubs typically off the books. You know, these, these guys, if they weren't prepared well for the original shutdown to happen as it was, you know, there was a big struggle there. And I think it did open up a lot of eyes to people that were saying, all right, I need to be better prepared for this the next time this potentially could happen. Uh, guys started learning to save money a little bit better than, you know, they once were. Well, it's, it, it goes down to a living wage. I mean, you have guys that are working, you know, $15 an hour, $16 an hour, um, you know, under 40 hours a week so that they can't hit that overtime. Like, companies are drilling that in, like, no more than 38 hours, like, Let's say, like, get out, basically. Um, and sometimes that's barely going to pay your rent, you know. And that's, that's where it really affects most people is that, that hourly wage. You know? Not bartenders like yourself. They get to sit in the front. You know, Fuck like off. real people that. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> He's talking about people that have to work all day long. Yeah, no, I get it. Okay. You guys know I work outside like the bar to try to do things, right? I, I do work all day a lot of times. But no, it's, a, it's a good point with the off-the-book stuff, though, that you're making because if you, uh, if you were somebody that was off the books or anything like that and then this hit, uh, you definitely had a little predicament to put yourself into because a lot of the fail-safes or whatever that the governments and the states provided were based off of whatever you were putting on the books. And you went to unemployment. You got a certain amount of money. And you had the, the $600 thing that went for a little while. But, you know, if you're a server like yourself or you're a bartender or whatever, and you're not declaring, you know, majority of your tips, depending on how the restaurant goes, et cetera, what yeah. they make you declare, if they make you put your credit cards on or whatever, and you're not declaring it and all of a sudden you get let go and you have to collect unemployment, you're collecting mm-hmm. unemployment on, you know, what, 25% of what you're actually taking home. So you're your uh, lifestyle takes a real, real adjustment. I think a lot of people learn, uh, learn through this how big of an adjustment sometimes your lifestyle. I mean, we're, we're lucky enough that we stayed open the whole time, but it definitely was still a lifestyle adjustment, um, you know, what you had to go through and et cetera. And there's a lot of people that left the business because of that. I mean, definitely. I mean, a lot of people looked at, like, open their eyes, that can I even keep doing this? Right. Yeah. When I say... And, and again, to pull back into the unemployment and seeing that check, 
I think that check was like 230 bucks that was cut. And I was like, how can anybody just pay anything with this? You know, you're talking about every week getting 230 bucks. That's right rent out of the four weeks right there. Maybe, right? Like maybe it intense, super intense. So I think guys are definitely aware of the holiday seasons here. This is not going to be a typical holiday season. I think for a lot of people that are in this industry for the most part, and you're really watching what's happening because, yeah, if we do hit that shutdown again, then the people that are still maybe off the books are going to be like, shit, now I'm really going to be feeling this in a second. You know, I will, I will say just to, to circle back a little bit to what James was talking about earlier about, you know, time with family and stuff like that, at least in my particular situation, um, because of the hours changed and, you know, et cetera, we're not open all night, so... Instead of getting home at 1, 2 in the morning, I'm getting home at 10, 10, 11 o'clock. So it's a little easier to wake up in the morning. And, uh, you know, I have a very similar, similar kind of kind of story with, you know, my, my wife, when we opened the restaurant, we didn't get paid. We didn't take a paycheck for a year, four, four years, maybe. Uh. Now that Mike and I didn't take a paycheck, you know, we, we worked off. I mean, in the beginning, it was just Mike and myself. So if we got a tip or whatever, we would split that and put you know, we basically worked off of peanuts for four years trying to build trying to build the business, and we didn't take a paycheck. And Nicole, my my wife, her you know she was understanding through the whole thing and like kind of understood what we were doing, and she held us up for that first you know first couple of years. And my whole goal was like, I'm telling you, I'm gonna get there, and you know I'm gonna be the I'm gonna hold us up. Don't 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 worry. That was the goal. So you gotta have have that you know same thing like James was saying. You gotta have that that trust and that work back and forth and understanding what's going on. But I will say when this hit in March and hours went down, I started to realize more, especially with like now I have kids and we have a family and et cetera. The, the time that the extra time that we had at home because I was home a little bit earlier and not like completely tired and wanting to sleep half a day. I was uh, kind of appreciate that a little bit more. So don't get me wrong. I want to get back to normal to where, you know, the restaurant's full and we're greeting guests and the kitchen's firing and all everybody's doing whatever, but I'm not completely upset about the little extra time that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely agree with that. I don't have kids, but it's nice to be home with my girl for more time than I ever was before in the past. You know what I mean? I get to be home and cook dinner. During lockdown, I was cooking dinner like five nights a week. I never got to do that before. That's nice. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you literally get to sit down and eat dinner like, with oh, five I nights get, a week. Like my wife is like, finally, I get to eat the, yep. what you've been cooking for other people for twelve years. <laughs> you see Noom's Instagram day in and day out, and it'd be like bacon wrap filet mignon this night, <laughs> like some crazy fish this night. And I was just yeah. like, are we not on a lockdown? And should we not be watching our paychecks right now? What is going on here? I mean, I was, all I had to do was just make sure we had food to eat. That was yeah. it. That's all, yeah. I, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's all I gotta do. Get rid of my girl and find a chef, you know? <laughs> Shit. Take us out, noobs. Guys, don't forget to uh, smash that like and subscribe button because, you know, algorithms.